0: Join me in my last episode with Graham Robbins, the CEO of Border Buddy and my industry resident expert. He is back to talk about tariffs and what is the secret behind tariffs. He talks about asking the question why and being more intentional. To find out more, please check out last week's episode at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode sixty three. and in your supply chain. First, a word from our sponsor, Border Buddy. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. BorderBuddy sees the struggle and has created a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce shopping cart like Shopify, Magento, eBay, and others, allowing you ease and peace of mind when selling to customers in North America. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from your door to theirs in real time. We're the first API-based custom solution. Just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com forward slash letstalksupplychain. Hello, and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. I just want to thank each and every one of you for listening, reaching out, and supporting the show. I could not do what I love without you. On today's show, I'll be talking to a company that gets 2 million visits to their site, pumps out over 25 articles a day, and just recently made their debut on SiriusXM with their own show, which is... You know, something that I hope to do one of these days. But before we do that, let's get into listener's corner. So the question of the week this week came from Daryl in California. Would you rather hire a contractor or an employee? Why or why not? This got a lot of attention. There are many people out there with a lot of different thoughts around this topic. Because I read an article recently on Forbes that said most millennials want to freelance and companies are still trying to get their head around it. So let's get through some of those comments. So Gwen from Freight Path, he actually emailed me and said, hey Sarah, this one resonated with me as we have been having a mix of contractors and full-time employees since we started at Freightpath." My answer is that for any key strategic activities of your company, you want dedicated employees. I find oftentimes contractors are delivering average quality results, compared to the standards I have for the company, but a contractor can be more affordable for punctual jobs and bring skills that will complement your existing team's skill set. Take care and keep rocking at it. I'm going to jump in here because as a freelancer, I'm actually going to say that I put in my best work as a freelancer rather than a full-time employee. So I'm just going to make that note before we go into the LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, we got some really long responses. Uh, One came from Ziad Kashram, really interesting points though, so make sure you go over to the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page Or listeners corner at letstalksupplychain.com and you will have the link directly to their answers. And he says that's always an interesting debate, especially from where you are looking at the debate. Some companies opt for contract work due to the fluctuation of work or look at it to minimize risks. There are decisions. Should be taken when deciding to contract or to full time hire, and it's usually case by case scenarios. And then Naomi, she weighed in and she says, Experts? No, she says, Great question, Sarah. I have hired and managed full time employees and freelancers, and been a full time employee and freelancer. There's a level of understanding around your organization, products, and purpose that only someone who is at the company building relationships with their cross functional partners can navigate. A hybrid model can be the perfect approach, but the more complicated your offerings and the deeper your vision, the more helpful a staff of full-time experts who who actively partner with other teams is. Jeremy Tiffin, he says, Hey, Sarah, couldn't resist chiming in. Great question and great content on your part. I read the article. Here's a couple of additional thoughts. The shape of the workforce has been shifting for years as the speed of business, automation and technology impact every sector, including supply chain. This certainly is a new trend. And as the article points out, it's picking up speed. These influences put exponential pressure on the skill sets required to compete both as a worker And for the company to get more of his answers, remember to go to listeners corner at Let's Talk Supply Chain. And then over on my personal LinkedIn, Michelle DeVivo, I love the idea that more and more companies are thinking outside of the box when it comes to hiring. But I think the answer is more position specific. Rich Carlson, great topic. We are moving more and more towards outsourced expertise where we need high level talent, but have needs less than 40 hours a week. Thank you so much for everybody who sent in their responses or commented on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Remember to follow us at Let's Talk Supply Chain on every single one of those platforms to be a part of the conversation each and every Wednesday. And if you have a supply chain question, remember to send it over to me, listeners at letstalksupplychain.com. So back to today's to today's episode. Everyone has heard of Freight Waves, but do you know the story behind the brand and the company? Well, today, Craig Fuller, CEO of Freight Waves, is here to give us the behind-the-scenes look into what they do. So, welcome to the show, Craig. Uh, glad to be here. Great, great. I know it's a busy time for you. I mean, having a new baby. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, and I just thank you for taking the time to come on the show. So without further ado, let's just get started. Why don't you tell us who is FreightWaves and what is your story? How did it get started?
1: Yeah, so we're the largest uh, media site uh, uh, as well as data provider in, in the freight business, so about 40% of all traffic and news uh, across the globe that's related to freight, transportation, logistics, uh, hits our site. And so we, uh, we have a very large presence, uh, media presence. We have 25 full-time journalists that report on the market. Uh, we have a, uh, a daily video blog uh, as well as a radio show that we host on XM Radio. Um, our investors, though, are, are certainly uh, encouraged by our media properties, but what really excites them is our data product, which has been described as an industrial Bloomberg or the Bloomberg of freight. And so we aggregate data from uh, millions of different uh, sensors, uh, millions of different sources, and then we uh, take unstructured data and then repopulate it, uh, aggregate it, and uh, 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 let, let people get access to it so that they can uh, build models and make better decisions about the market.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you that. I mean, as a supply chain professional, so what does that mean for me exactly? I mean, you've used a few technology terms and different things like that, but if I'm not kind of familiar with some of those terms, what does it mean for me? Why should I come to the FreightWaves website? Why should I look at the media side? Why should I take a look at the data side?
1: Well, if you think about transportation uh, just broadly, you know, everything is about getting stuff faster faster more efficient, uh, less uh, prone to risks. Uh, whether it's weather or claims issues or, or just uh, losing a freight or geopolitical issues or et cetera, all these things are impacting the freight market 24-7, 365. And so something that takes place in you know a remote village in China or uh, take place on the high sea or there's an issue with you know certain aircraft types, et cetera, that's going to have a significant impact um, down the line. It's that butterfly effect. And so our job at Freightways is is to uh, bring context to the market. And we do that through our data uh, products, which we sell to companies to make better pricing decisions, to identify risks in their supply chain or identify risks in their transportation planning, uh, to make better pricing and economic decisions about their business. And then we bring context to it through our uh, website, our news product, uh, that it's uh, we're constantly looking at, all of this data and trying to identify anything that is going to uh, bring a level of disruption or create risks for the folks in the, in the industry.
0: Okay, so because there's so much out there, right? I've, I've been speaking to a couple of different supply chain professionals and they're saying that they're getting a little bit overwhelmed because there's so much information and there's so many great things that they can tap into, but they just don't know where to start, <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I I think that's correct, and I think what we're trying to do is, is streamline it because the issue that you pointed out is that um, you know logistics managers, traffic managers don't want more. Uh, screens open on their desktop. They don't need another source of data. They don't need more tracking. Um, Or
0: Or logins and passwords.
1: (laughs) Correct. And so (laughs) what we're doing is aggregating the data. So we're helping do a couple of things. One is make the data actionable. A lot of the sensor and IoT data that's out there um, is not easy for people to ingest into their systems because they all require separate APIs or, as you pointed out, Separate passwords, and so we're uh, through our product. Our sonar product it basically aggregates that data and makes it easy for companies to ingest it through a consistent API pipe. Um, now we're not doing the individual tracking, so we're not involved in the workflow tracking because those are driven predominantly by shippers. Uh, shipper. Uh, a, a large shipper will determine who they want to use for visibility and tracking. Our job is to bring context to all of the data that is aggregated from all these different sources and help people interpret what's happening.
0: I love that. And the fact that it's a constant flow and not something that you have to wonder whether it's up to date or not, I think will also ease the minds of a lot of supply chain professionals out there.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a, there's always you know there are a number of companies that provide data, and I think uh, they provide rate data or they provide volume data or tracking data, and, that, and I think that's an important part of sort of this broad trend to uh, to have more visibility and more transparency in the market. The challenge is that a lot of times that data is either very siloed and very specific to one type of uh, data stream or one type of ask. Um, And it's not put into broader context of everything else. So so take ELD devices as as an example. Um, As polarizing as they are, what they actually do is provide visibility uh, to to what's happening. It it provides tracking and the ability to see where drivers are at, uh, the ability to to understand where they're being delayed, the ability to sort of understand workflow and how their uh, lifestyles are impacted by Uh, shipper delays, parking, all these issues are are certainly we have a built ability to have transparency to it. The challenge about ELD devices is they don't have context. And so you take and look at a a convention center in Las Vegas, and you see, you know, eight to 10-hour, quote-unquote, dwell times or detention times, and you're like, wow, that's a really inefficient uh, 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 shipper at these convention centers. But in reality, that's how they operate. And so having context uh, of what's happening, being able to combine a a bunch of data and build a more cohesive model uh, can help us understand and come up with more solutions as an industry that makes uh, the business more efficient, less prone to risks and cost uh, overruns and uh, ultimately provide better service to, to the market.
0: Great. Well, you and I had a conversation a few weeks ago and I, my mind was blown by some of the stats that you get. Can you sort of run us through, you know, what you're looking at from your website, uh, from your website stats, you know, who are you reaching?
1: Yeah, so we um, we're getting today. You know, if you look at our traffic today, and it's uh, we actually have doubled in the last thirty days. So um, we get a couple of million page views uh, a month uh, right now, which puts us about three times the size of of the the next largest website out there in freight news. Uh, Transport Topics is, would be second in terms of freight logistics news, um, and then you've got pretty you know a, a lot of sort of mid. Uh, size companies that do things around sort of equipment guides and equipment uh, information like fleet owner and CCJ, which do a good job of covering the trucks. If you're buying a new truck, that's where you go. Uh, and then you get into the folks on the global supply chain and global freight and container markets like JOC that do a good job of covering sort of the maritime market. We're trying to bring context to all of it. So we go broader uh, in terms of the scope, uh, but we also try to, we have a really uh, I think we have a lot of trucking information because it's where we started. Uh, we've added rail, uh, we've added uh, maritime and, and air, and it's all about bringing context to it. So we get a couple of million page views uh, a month. And like I said, it's doubled in the last three days. We think about 40% when we look at the traffic of all of the logistics sites uh, globally, we're about 40% of that traffic. Uh, and then we syndicate our content uh, to 72 major uh, wet news sites, uh, that you know, Morningstar picks it up on a daily basis, Benzinga, bar chart, CNN money will, will carry it, Bloomberg business, et cetera. Uh, and that's over a billion and a half uh, total references. So if you look at the total amount of eyeballs that will see, uh, content where we are referenced, it's about a billion and a half, which is just, it's astounding. And we think it's uh, about seven times the size of any other sort of news and, and data source in the freight business.
0: Amazing. And that sort of goes towards some of the people in the industry that don't believe in, you know, media and social media to say, hey, you know, we can reach this many people. You know, yeah, there's yeah. that many people that are interested in supply chain and logistics. It's kind of you know mind-blowing. I think it I think it comes back to
1: because we didn't set out to be a media site. We never thought, hey, we should do this. This is sort of accidental and it was Sort of inspirational that we did it. Um, but as, we, as we've taught, you know, certainly this podcast and uh, we, we talked about Tim's podcast uh, earlier, um, what, what's happening in the industry is that there's a sort of the second or third generation of folks. We've gone past my dad. My grandfather was in the trucking industry. Then my father was in it. They had separate companies. They started their own company. And so we're at this sort of digital uh, social media and Um, uh, revolution and and generation that's sort of taking the reins of the industry. And so if you look at up-and-coming executives, these are, you know, mid-30s and maybe even younger executives in the space. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the third party, the 3PL industry, has attracted much younger people than sort of the large carriers, whether the trucking companies, container ship companies, airlines, tend to be just on average tend to be older, an older generation. They're much more hierarchical, particularly the larger ones. But you have this emerging 3PL sector, which is really made up of a lot, a lot younger people. And and I think because of that, um, the 3PL sector is much better at marketing. They understand it. They're much better at data and technology. And I think what's happened out of that is that's enabled, you know, Folks like like yourself and and my and me to to come out and build uh, 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 content that that is not just putting ads out. It's talking about deep subject matter expertise and really sort of bringing context to what's happening. I think that's an emergence that's taking place, and we're starting to see that happen. And I think it's pretty important.
0: Yeah. And also, I think that, you know, before people fell into this industry and now you've got, um, you know, people coming out of school that went to school specifically for supply chain, supply chain management. They're making this their career. They're looking at it. You know, as an industry that they want to be a part of, you know, and what does that mean for them? Where's the, where's the information that they're going to gather to not only be able to help themselves move forward, but help the companies that they're working for move forward as well?
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, I, I probably fit the typical prototypical freight transportation executive of maybe a decade ago. And, and, and so I'm multi-generational. I grew up in it. This is sort of a destination for me. Uh, but I think in the last decade, and particularly the last five years, is the, whether we want to call it the e-commerce effect or the Amazon effect or whatever you want to say it is, uh, this is a story of the last uh, a decade where, to your point, Universities are throwing out supply chain graduates. Um, companies are looking for supply chain because, because ultimately, what makes Amazon—just look at the Amazon story—what makes Amazon successful is far more than just the fact that their website's easy to navigate and they sort of know my buying preferences. What really—because I think all of that sort of a i mean, it's fairly easy for any company, whether it's you know you have a Shopify website. Most of the e-commerce sites are pretty efficient, and, and you can get the experience down. The real advantage that Amazon has, and and perhaps Walmart is right there as well with Jet.com, is the fact that they are a logistics company at heart. You know, they figured out how to go out and source capacity. They figured out how to put... Uh, You know, this distribution of warehouses much closer to population centers and and provide real-time and and near-time delivery. And I think because of that, uh, that's forced every other company to sort of respond to it. Uh, Because if you're not, you're going to be displaced, it's very clear. And so because of that, companies and corporations are putting a lot of investment in their supply chain uh, operations. And that's creating huge opportunities for people who would not have considered supply chain as interesting they would have thought, um, you know, I remember growing up and uh, as I was, you know, in the date, you know, I was young in my early 20s and I would be dating and talk about trucking and I'd get this kind of look from uh, my <laughs> dates of like, oh, that's a disgusting industry. It's black smoke and it's dirty truck drivers and stuff. But that was the view of, of the people that are not in the industry. And I think what's happened in the past decade is that there's this whole emphasis on, you um, uh, on the sophistication of the industry, the data of the industry, and sort of this tech revolution that's taking place that beca- has become a much more attractive sector for, for young people.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree with that. Can uh, You did talk a little bit about your journey. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? I mean, I think you grew up in a family business within the within Yeah, the- so... Or-
1: Yeah, so my father – so my grandfather was one of the original pioneers of long-haul trucking um, in the 1960s. So he was – he would run teams, and I'm convinced he did it to get away from the – to basically break the law because he could put two drivers in a truck, and I don't think that was legal back then. Uh, But I don't know that. Um, I do know that he he was constantly in, in disputes with the ICC. Uh, when that existed in the 1960s. But my father started uh, U.S. Express, which is a a very large uh, truckload carrier. It's publicly traded today. My uncle started Covenant, which is another long haul, a very large uh, long haul trucking company. And so I grew up in the industry. Uh, You know, my father worked for my grandfather and then um, my father started U.S. Express and my uncle started Covenant. And so I, I am a legacy of the industry. Trucking has been a part of my life literally since I was born. And so I saw my father, you know, my, my dad started his business in 1985, which was six years after deregulation uh, took hold. And I saw my dad build this you know trucking company with 50 trucks, and now it has 7,000, by using technology to gain an edge and using information and, and data to sort of gain an edge. The, the, the thing, though, that was apparent is that even companies as big and sophisticated as U.S. Express is are – they only have data about their own business and so when you walk into an operation at US Express or at the large truck carriers or really large companies in the space is they're only using information about their own business they have a lot of confirmation bias and so uh, the idea uh, of freight waves is to just to, to democratize that information so that everyone has visibility what's happening but I started as a, a in the industry uh, really, you know, as a young kid and worked in various jobs for my father at uh, a college, you know, I did join the freight industry. They had an air freight operation, an unsuccessful air freight operation that um, I, I was a part of and, and helped orchestrate the sale to Ford Air. And then I left trucking in 2005 and went sort of payments company. And I saw what's happening in transportation is very similar to what I, I saw with payments in the mid-2000s was this idea of venture capital pouring billions of dollars into the industry with the idea of this sleepy industry, and this case was banking, uh, the the venture capital investors said, hey, we can use technology that has better client experiences, better UI, better data, uh, and we'll put money in these, these upstarts and billions of dollars in these upstarts to displace the community bank and displace the way people bank. And what they did was two things. One is… Some of those uh, companies were successful. You know, mint.com was successful being sold into it. Uh, Square is a is sort of a, you know, Square and Venmo and PayPal. Those were sort of generational. Uh, they sort of defined payments. What also happened is the incumbents were forced to respond, so they started uh, investing in their own technologies uh, to sort of fight off this this th- uh, investment that's coming from the outside, these interlopers, if you will. And, and I saw that happen and play out in payments. <laughs> Most of the companies that raised venture capital were not successful. Most of them went away because they just couldn't get to the proper scale. Uh, scale still matters, even even in venture in the venture world. Uh, and so, uh, but what happened is the the industry went through this sort of rapid uh, evolution of technology, UI and UX, and data, and how people experience things were far more important. And a, uh, a venture revolution than there had been before, and I get and now being back in transportation, in 2014, I I'd sold the business to US Bank and, and come back to this industry in 2014. I see much of the same uh, sort of trends happening that I saw in the early 2000s in the payments business, where venture capital is pouring billions of dollars in transportation back in these these upstarts. Uh, you know, hundreds of upstarts, most of them will be unsuccessful. And I see the same playbook playing out in this industry that, you know, that played out in payments.
0: Absolutely. And I like that analogy to another industry, right? Because a lot of times we talk about the supply chain industry. I mean, it's such a broad subject. You go from sourcing to last mile. But it's nice to sort of take a look at an outside industry and how that's evolved and how you can bring that analogy over to our industry as well to uh, correlate it, you know, especially for people that don't understand the industry.
1: Yeah, I I think our playbook at Freightways has actually been uh, sort of guided, if you will, by what I saw in payments is that, you know, we have a conference business, uh, one that's coming up in May called Transparency 19. We have one in in November called Marketways. And it's the same format that I saw in payments. There was this uh, sort of rapid fire demo of seven minutes. Uh, where you don't have to, there's no PowerPoint allowed on stage and it's just demos and, and you see technology and it was, it was sort of this refreshing, cause you go to a lot of conferences. Uh, in payments, or you go to a lot, you know, when I was in payments, there was conferences where it was typical 30, 45 minute panel and people, no one really talks about anything of substance. But then you go to this sort of conference ex- exhibition where it's live demos for seven minutes and you're sitting there and it's very powerful because, first of all, it doesn't bore you, it's very action packed. And second of all, it's sort of you get to see technology and you get to see it play out. And so we adopted that. You know, our website has been inspired by some of the sites that we see in payments and, and financial uh, fintech and so much of the playbook of freight waves for, for me has been informed by what I saw in payments and and I think we're seeing that revolution play out so I, I look at at you know Fintech raised 52 billion dollars in venture capital last year if you take freight tech is about three billion But we're growing as an industry. Freight tech is growing exponentially faster in terms of new venture capital coming in than what fintech is that the fintech industry is sort of in the later stage of venture development, whereas freight transportation is not. And it's in the very early stage. And so I think what we'll see play out is very similar to what we saw in in the, the payments in the fintech industry.
0: Awesome. And that sort of takes me into my next question because I want to, well, I think I'm going to combine a couple because I want to talk to you about Beta. I think you're involved with that. And I want to get to know what your thoughts are about the future of supply chain and logistics. So why don't we talk a little bit about both because I think Beta is going to be um, uh, involved in sort of that future of supply chain logistics.
1: Yeah, so I started, uh, co-founded BETA, or BETA, Blockchain and Transport Alliance. Probably
0: my Canadian accent, sorry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I've heard it. Yeah, so I've heard it, BETA, BETA. I probably say BETA. It it stands for the Blockchain and Transport Alliance. Uh, We started that last August um, with seven different companies, uh, and, and really it just sort of evolved from conversations. Well, what happened is our editorial publication, Fretface.com, started writing a lot about blockchain and writing about how blockchain could be applied to transportation. And I think we just were sort of had identified that as an early trend and, and sort of an interesting topic. What happened is a lot of people would, would reach out to me personally and say, Hey, you guys have a perspective on blockchain and how could it how could it apply in transportation? But in order for this to take off, there has to be some type of standard. And so through a number of conversations, uh, we got the idea. And and, and in many ways, again, going back to what I said about fintech, this was informed by something I saw in the fintech uh, revolution is that the payments industry did not have a a sort of industry coalition or standards uh, group. Uh, Intel, and a lot of it was based on data security, sort of inspired by data security, until the big four payments companies, MassCard, Visa, Discover, and Amex came together and said, you know, hacking of systems does not, you know, people stealing credit card information doesn't help anybody. And there needs to be data formats. And there needs to be data exchange. And so they created a couple of different trade associations, uh, standards organizations to solve for that. Um, And that there was about three of them that sort of govern the data standards for payments. And I saw that play out there and I thought, well, this is sort of an interesting opportunity as well and and freight. And I thought – we would get 20 companies in a year, and it, for me as, a, as an executive and a, as a, always thinking about marketing, I thought, well, this would be a great calling card because I can call up the a, a CEO or I can call up a CTO of a you know, UPS or, or, or FedEx or, or some small trucking company, and they'll, they're more likely to answer my phone because I know something about blockchain. So we announced this thing, and we had 60 companies in the first week sign up. Now, keep in mind, we only had 20 that we thought would do it in a year. We had 60 in their first week. And this just exploded. And I think there's probably 5,000 companies that have applied or have have gone through the process of talking about membership. I I don't even know the numbers today. We're probably 700, 650, 700 members strong. I've actually stepped out of the beta uh, operation just because it's built. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of the companies are, are sort of working together. We weren't building anything specific to blockchain, so it makes sense for us to sort of for me to be personally involved, uh, we do run the conferences because it sort of taps into our broader uh, idea of getting companies together. Um, and we put those on uh, under contract from BIDA. But but it, but ultimately, it's an organization that now Del he's uh, his, his title is Blockchain Fellow at FedEx, is actually running it on behalf of BIDA. So he is the chairperson of BIDA. And now it sort of has its own organization, sort of taken on a life of its own. And I'm, I'm quite proud of what BIDA has accomplished in the past year, a um, year and a half. And uh, uh, I look forward to seeing what they come up, you know, what comes out of that. Uh, there is now a technology standard for blockchain uh, uh, data transfer inside of BIDA that has created a standard. And I think... This is a a long-term process. It's not going to be overnight. It's going to take many, many years before it sort of proliferates. Uh, But it's nice to see the industry come together to sort of solve for, for technology challenges.
0: Absolutely, and bring together standards. Um, because, and I think that's really, really important. With a lot of this technology, um, not just the blockchain, but you're talking cryptocurrency. You know, making sort of, you know, inching its way maybe into our our industry. We need those standards, and we, and uh, I think that it's super, super important. So, congratulations on that, because it sounds like it's a really interesting project. You know, something that you had founded and. Um, you know, are are helping to grow uh, from, you know, a different perspective from the conference side. So then let's wrap this up. Why don't you tell us, you know, what's next for FreightWaves? I know you've just started the radio show on SiriusXM. You might want to talk a little bit about that. But also looking to the future of the company, what's what's exciting and new that you guys are working on that's going to come out later?
1: Yeah, so we, we did start, uh, SiriusXM reached out to us a couple of months ago Maybe six months ago, and said, "Hey, you know, we we we've got a couple of different uh, magazines and and publications that are that have a radio show as sort of a byproduct of their content. Would you uh, be interested in in launching a radio show on our network?" And of course, the answer was yes. And so we did that. Uh, We launched that. It's in partnership with SiriusXM. The content specific to. Of that channel. Um, and so for us, it's just our our editorial folks sort of diving deeper into subjects of interest. Um, the show specific touches a bit more on trucking because it's on the Road Dog Network. Uh, and so it is a, a more of a trucking focus and sort of broader supply chain. But we certainly talk about uh, issues that that anyone in supply chain would be interested in. Um, And so that launched uh, about a month and a half ago, two months, gone really, really well, uh, continues to increase in audience. Uh, We're launching a a TV network, an over the top uh, TV network, uh, which will come out in about uh, a month to two months, depending on when we get everything done. Um, And that actually will allow allow for us to to broadcast video content uh, across the industry that's going to talk about. Uh, these issues that that folks face. So everything from the weather to oil to commodities to any sort of breaking news, geopolitical, we hope to dive into it. And again, a, a lot of our playbook is not only inspired by my experience of payments, but I actually, I'm a huge fan of Michael Bloomberg and what they did, you know, what he built with Bloomberg. And much of the playbook of how Bloomberg has built its business is the playbook we follow, which is, the idea of taking these really complicated if you sort of look at the pre-bloomberg days in the financial markets is all of the information was sort of hoarded by these you know really smart analysts that you know were what had all the data and what michael bloomberg said was hey i think i can democratize the information give everybody access to the data in a a real and near-time fashion that previously had sort of been siloed. And I think transportation is going through that as well. And our goal is to do that. So the TV network is to bring additional context to uh, what we put out through our broader uh, properties.
0: Great. And I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I've just, um, I'm, I'm just about to come out with my TV show on my YouTube channel, uh, called The Trade Squad. So I completely agree with you. I think people in the industry are starved for this. You know, they want video content, but good video content. You know, they want to hear from people that, you know, they want to hear from real people talking about real supply chain issues and challenges and things that they're going through so that they can absolutely relate to it. So there you have it, listeners. FreightWaves is smashing through glass ceilings and coming out with amazing content and recently listed on CNBC's 2018 Upstart 100 list as the brightest, most intriguing young startups promising to become the great companies of tomorrow. For more information about Freightwaves and how you can connect with Craig, visit letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode sixty four. Plus, you can visit their website, freightwaves.com. Thank you so much, Craig, for coming on the show today.
1: Sarah, big fan of the show and uh, look forward to uh, further conversation.
0: If you liked this episode, go and check out my recent interview with Nino about supply chain startups. And next week, be sure to tune in because I have Graham, CEO of Containers, one of the biggest disruptors to the supply chain tech community. They are doing some amazing things and I want to tell you all about their company their story, and what they are doing to disrupt the industry. So stay tuned. That's coming up next week. Remember to support the show. There's a couple of ways to do that. Uh, my Supply Chain Dictionary, which is 107 pages full of acronyms and definitions that you will need to de- navigate the supply chain community, the supply chain profession. So go and check that out at shop at letstalksupplychain.com. Secondly, rate and review the show. I will feature your upcoming or your review on an upcoming episode and rate it so that other people can find us and they can listen to all of the amazing guests that I have on the show. Go to ships.com. That's S-H-I-P-Z dot and fill in your information. Be one of the first people to know once we are ready to launch. We are working. We are working hard. And we are getting ready to launch soon. And you're not going to want to miss out on being one of the first to know what we are doing. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and now YouTube. Make sure you go and subscribe to the SC Supply Chain TV on YouTube. You can find that under the SC at letstalksupplychain.com. I have launched the Trade Squad. The first episode is up there. People are loving it, getting some amazing reviews. So make sure you go and check that out because we talk about some amazing hot topics on that episode. I'm also going to be having my video series. That is out. The episode one is out and there are five more to come. So go and check that out because that's about the autonomous supply chain over on the SC. And I also have some mentorship videos on there as well. So, that you can learn from other supply chain professionals what they're looking to do in the industry and find out some of the advice that I'm able to give them. Thank you so much for tuning into the show, and remember, everybody, ship happens.